We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. And we have to be very careful how we understand and interpret Christ's words because some have taken his words to mean that Jesus was teaching salvation can be attained by just hanging in there. Just persevere long enough. Just hold on to the faith and persevere in the trials of life and endure you'll be saved. That can't be what he was saying. That would contradict everything the Bible says about salvation. The Bible dogmatically teaches that salvation is not by human effort but by God's grace alone because of his mercy in dying for sinners. Jesus said, You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who has endured to the end will be saved. Casually reading that verse, it sounds at first like we need to keep the faith in order to be saved. But persecution is sort of like God's refinery. When gold or other precious metals are refined, there are processes during which the desired metal accumulates in a pure state. It doesn't do that to become gold. It does it because it is gold. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff has more to share today about perseverance and the Christian's response to persecution. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve has been preaching and teaching since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is an extension of that ministry. Family is sometimes a strong deterrent to people trusting Christ. But opposition to the gospel and even persecution of Christians can come from almost anywhere. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 10. The concluding lesson in our study of opposition to the gospel is about to begin. Now let me tell you in practical terms how this works out. There are some kinds of situations that Jesus was talking about in which there are people who consider the claims of Christ. They've heard the gospel. They know it's true. They intellectually say it's true, but they still resist. They will not come to faith in him because of fear of the consequences within their family. That's what he's talking about. You cannot love your family more than him or else you will not come to him. He's warning us about the all too common scenario of a husband or wife hearing the gospel, knowing it's true, yet not becoming a Christian because their spouse hasn't become one. And they fear that if they, if they do accept Jesus, they're going to lose their spouse. And they make a decision. They make a decision. They love their spouse more than they're willing to love Christ. That's what he's talking about. I, I really saw this firsthand for many years in the life of my own mom who uh, resisted coming to faith in Christ. She did actually on her deathbed, literally on her deathbed, five hours before she died, she prayed to receive Christ. But for many years, I'm convinced that my mom knew intellectually that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet she resisted. She would not come to faith in him because she was afraid of offending relatives and especially my, my dad alienating him. And she was just afraid of the potential consequences. I, I am convinced 
that that was the case. Or in a similar way, it may be children who are hesitant to to come to Christ because they fear that their parents are going to be so hostile towards them and the gospel that they'll never see them again. Maybe they fear being cut out of the will. Maybe they fear that their own children will never be raised seeing their grandparents and they make a decision to put their family before Christ. Jesus said, if you have that attitude, you, you cannot be a follower of mine. You cannot be a follower of mine. But listen, opposition to the gospel is not something that's found only amongst certain recognizable institutions. That's really all we've been looking at, at up to this point. Religious groups, secular government, and now the family. All of those are God-ordained institutions. The church, the state, the family. But Jesus went on to give a fourth area where we can expect opposition to the gospel. And in doing so, he really broadened persecution to include people from all walks of life. Notice this. The fourth area in which we can expect to receive opposition to Christ is from all kinds of individuals. It's not restricted to one institution. Verse 22 says this, You will be hated, Jesus said, by all because of my name. What he's saying is that hatred for him is universal. It's by, by all. It's not restricted to any religious group or government authority or family member. Now, having said that, we have to be careful we don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He certainly is not teaching that when he said all, that everybody on the planet is going to hate you. All here doesn't mean every person, just as we studied last Sunday night in looking at the atonement and limited atonement, all doesn't always mean every single person when the Bible says all. And that's the case here. It's not an absolute sense without any exceptions. The thought is all classes of people, all categories of people will hate you. All kinds of people, regardless of their rank in society or religious beliefs or age or gender or their financial status or their ethnic background, individuals from all walks of life, your your work area, your school area, your neighborhood, from all walks of life, they're going to hate you from time to time because of me, because of Christ. And, and we, we know that that not everybody, Jesus wasn't saying everybody who's an unbeliever is going to hate you because that's that's just not the case. There are some unbelievers who actually have very positive relationships with Christians. They have They have positive feelings towards believers. They respect us. They like doing business with us. They even admire us for our convictions. But though that be true, nonetheless, it is still true that some unbelievers will hate us. And so Jesus can say all, all kinds of unbelievers will hate you. They'll hate you. It's not limited to one race or color of skin or religious group or nationality. Mankind, he's saying in general, is is hostile towards Christ. And this hatred for him will erupt at times towards you. Now, last week, we looked at the reason, the primary reason Jesus said the world hates us, so we don't need to do that again. But I remind you simply that in John 15, 18 and 19, Jesus said, the world hates you because I chose you out of the world. And if you were like the world, they would still love you. But I chose you out of the world. You're different and they hate you for it. Meaning, folks, that that we have been changed. We're being transformed and, and conformed to the image of Christ's character. So we have righteous standards, righteous values, and the world hates that. We're rebuked to them because of their sinful, sinful standards and unrighteous values. And when we live out these righteous standards, it just naturally attracts the world's wrath because they hate Christ's righteousness. This is precisely why the Apostle Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, because the world hates righteousness, 
They will attack anyone who lives righteously. So if, if you have never, you claim to know Christ, but you have never received any kind of persecution, whether it be verbal or dislike or, or anything, if you've never received any kind of persecution for your faith in Christ, then you should seriously examine yourself. One of two things are taking place here. Either you are not a Christian, though you think you are, you are not a Christian, or you are a Christian, but you are not living godly enough to attract any persecution. Nobody really cares. You're so much like the world that they're not threatened by your behavior. Now, you need to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. It's, what, just, it's like what the passage of Scripture Michael read before. Make sure of your election and calling. If you've never seen anything, question, Lord, do I really know you? Maybe I'm, I'm just a church person. Maybe I've just intellectually believed the gospel, but I've never personally repented of my sin and trusted Christ. Only the Lord can show you that. But you know what? If you are living godly for Christ Jesus, the Bible says, you will be persecuted. It's not something that happens all the time. It happens from time to time. And it is not something that when it happens is easy to endure. It can, persecution can be very tough. And we attract persecution from all walks of life, religious people, secular governments, family members, from people who we work with, who we said before, all walks of life. And when all this persecution comes flying at us, understand there are naturally going to be times of discouragement. Nobody, nobody handles persecution with joy all the time. It does hurt. It's not easy. And frankly, if you don't know, and if you didn't know Jesus Christ personally, and you experience this kind of persecution, I can guarantee you're going to walk away. You're going to walk away from having anything to do with Christianity. And whatever faith you had, you will renounce it if you don't know Christ. But you see, a true believer will never do that. A true believer will never permanently walk away from Christ. He may struggle. He may be up and down while he's persecuted. There may be seasons where, where he's not walking very close to the Lord, but he will never permanently walk away from Christ. He will endure. And that's why Jesus concluded verse 22 with a very strong statement about believers enduring to the end. Notice verse 22. He said, you'll be hated by all because of my name, but... It is the one who has, notice this, endured to the end who will be saved. And we have to be very careful how we understand and interpret Christ's words because some have taken his words to mean that Jesus was teaching salvation can be attained by just hanging in there. Just persevere long enough. Just hold on to, to, the, uh, to the faith and persevere in the trials of life. You just hang in there long enough and endure, you'll be saved. That can't be what he was saying. That would contradict everything the Bible says about salvation. The Bible dogmatically teaches that salvation is not by human effort, but by God's grace alone because of, of his mercy in dying for sinners. So what then is Jesus saying? He's teaching that, that those who persevere and endure in the Christian life, even though, as I said, they're beset by all kinds of persecutions, they will, at the end of their lives, enter into glory. Why? Because they prove to be true believers. In other words, endurance is an evidence of genuine faith. It does, endurance doesn't save you. We're not saved by perseverance. We're saved by grace alone. But you will evidence that you have true faith because you will persevere. Theologians call this godly evidence, the perseverance of the saints. And what they mean by this is that if you are a genuine follower of Christ, regardless of your difficult circumstances, 
you're going you're gonna to follow him. You're going to follow him until the end of your life on earth when he will take you home to glory and you'll experience the final and ultimate aspect of your salvation. That's the salvation Jesus was speaking of. You'll be saved in the end. We are saved now, but there is a future aspect of this salvation. So it simply means true believers will endure. They will. That's the evidence of it. Those who really know the Lord will never walk away from him. As I said, you will have ups and downs. All of us have that. But regardless of how rough it gets, and regardless of the struggles that you have during times of intense trials, as a true believer, you will remain a true believer. Jesus taught this himself again in John 8.31. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. True disciples continue in his word. We're not talking now about perfect obedience. We are talking about the general direction of their lives. And according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, the proof that you have genuine faith is that you will continue to trust the Lord through all the trials of life. Then you'll receive the final aspect of your salvation when Christ finally takes you home to heaven at the end of your life. Well then, you may wonder, but what about, what about those who at one time claimed to know Jesus? We all know people like that. One time they said they knew Jesus, they're very active in church, maybe even held a position in the church, but they have since walked away from him. They want nothing to do with Christians, nothing to do with Christianity. They no longer claim to believe the Bible. They don't care what the Bible has to say. They don't care what Jesus has to say. They're not part of a local church. They have no fellowship with, with God or with his people. What do we say about people like this. We say exactly what the Apostle John said in 1 John 2.19. I'd like you to turn to it. I can quote it, but I want you to see it in black and white. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. This is what we say, because this is what John said. Verse 19, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, meaning they left us. They forsook a relationship with us. And our fellowship, because they were not really of us. They were not true Christians, he's saying. For if they had been of us, if they had really been genuine believers, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. What do we say about those who once claimed to know Christ but are following him no longer? We say they never really knew the Lord to begin with. It was a false profession, superficial, surface profession of faith. And when the trials of life came, you saw their real nature, which had never been changed. So here's a significant question to ask. Why do true Christians continue to hold on to, to Christ and continue to be loyal to him when persecution comes? But those who, who are merely professors of faith in Christ without a true relationship why do they abandon him? Why do we hang on and they don't? The answer is simply this, and it's one that you need to think about. It's because if you've really been converted, you have a new nature. It's called a divine nature placed there by God. And that new nature and God's grace as he strengthens you enables you to persevere. You and I are not strong on our own. This is not exalting us. We're, we're not there. We would renounce Christ in a heartbeat if it were left up to us. But God has given us a new nature, and with that new nature comes strength and empowerment and his grace to help us. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Philippians that he could do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens him. Couldn't do it on his own. He told the Corinthians that Christ's power, he said, was perfected in his weakness. 
He said, when I'm weak, that's when Christ is strong in me. So understand, that's, that's why we persevere. Because of his grace. That divine nature enables us. We've, we've really been transformed. And so Jesus has made it very clear to us from all these verses that we've been studying in Matthew chapter 10 that, that we can expect dangerous wolves from the world to attack us from all different angles. So in light of that, folks, the question is this, what should we do? What do we do then? Should we just stand there and passively take all this persecution because we say persecution is inevitable, so just beat me till I die? Or do we just stop witnessing or tone it down so that we will minimize persecution directed at us? Jesus, in verse 23, closes this section by telling us exactly what we should do. He said, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. In light of the inevitability of facing dangerous situations of persecution, Christ instructs us that when we do run into hostility and mistreatment because of the gospel, we are not, note this, we are not obligated to stay in that place of opposition until they kill us. In fact, he commands us to leave that place of open hostility and move on to some other place where we can share the gospel and we're not persecuted. He said, whenever they persecute you in one place, flee to another city. Get out of there. In other words, folks, he's telling us that we aren't to needlessly court martyrdom. Well, just just kill me. Just blast away until I die. That's not the case at all. I, I think this is part of being wise as a serpent. And I, I love what William Hendrickson said in his commentary on Matthew concerning this. He said, nowhere does the Bible teach that a kingdom worker who, while in a certain village or town, is being constantly harassed and whose message is being persistently rejected, must stay in that same place year after year until he dies. Would not his talents be wasted? Would it be fair to other communities who that are crying for help? Let him move out. And move out is exactly what we read about in the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul would face open hostility. He'd come to a town, minister there. Usually he was persecuted. Oftentimes a riot broke out. And the Apostle Paul just got up and moved on. He didn't stay there and, and say, pummel me until I die. He moved on to another city where he was free to minister the gospel until persecution there forced him to move to another city. That's sort of how the Lord spread the gospel in the ancient world. Now, folks, I want you, before we close this, and don't turn your minds off, I want you to notice something that's very important and interesting. Notice that in verse 23, Jesus didn't simply tell his disciples that in light of persecution, they were to move from city to city in a general way. He actually spoke of a certain location. Notice that he specifically mentioned the cities of Israel. Now, that's very interesting. He said, but whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Now this this has befuddled some people. Why would Jesus speak about the cities of Israel when these instructions about missions and evangelism go beyond the days of the apostles? We know that they refer to worldwide missions until Christ's return, yet Jesus spoke of the cities of Israel. The answer seems to be, that Jesus is letting us know that even though much of our evangelism outreach in this age is to Gentiles because we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, note this, there is always to be a witness to the Jewish people, especially in Israel. 
Don't, don't miss that. In other words, in spite of the fact that God's focus on evangelism today is to make disciples from the Gentile nations of the world, he's telling us that he will never abandon his witness to the Jewish people, and nor should we. Nor should we. He expects us as his followers in this day and age, and it will certainly happen during the tribulation period, when we are to be witnessing to Jewish people right until he returns. God has a covenant with Israel, and he will not forsake them. Let's bow for prayer. I don't know what kind of trial you're going through. You, you may be in a very difficult, hostile environment now. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's amongst family. Maybe it's someone who's a member of, of your family, immediate family. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent, a sibling. But regardless of how great the opposition is to you, you can rest in the great comfort that God will always give you his grace and strength. And you will endure. You will endure. It'll never get so rough that you'll, that, that you'll say, I'm, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I can't take it anymore. God's grace is always sufficient. If you're a true believer, you will endure to the end only because of his grace, not because of your strength. And though we move as sheep amongst dangerous wolves, we need to keep in mind that our shepherd is always with us. Not only does he give us his grace, but he gives us his presence. You're not out there alone. And remember, whatever you're going through, Jesus went through a lot worse. He came to his own, his own received him not. <laughs> he's the one who's thrust us out amongst the, wolf, the wolves, and he's the one who's responsible to protect us. So rest in, in his sovereign plan, rest in his grace and, and strength. Question is, do you know him? Do you, really, do you know him as not only your shepherd, but as your savior? Folks, I, I hope there's no one here who is just uh, churchy, superficial in their belief in Christ. Jesus wants it to be far more than superficial. He wants you to have a commitment to him that goes beyond family, beyond friends, beyond the closest loved ones in this world. And that's not to diminish our love for them, but it's to increase and deepen our love for him. If you don't have that, then I urge you, Turn to him, repent of your sins, and trust him to be Lord and Savior. If there's any way that I could be of help in sitting down with you or any of our staff members and explaining the way of salvation more fully, we would love to do that. Well, Father, we thank you for allowing us the immense privilege of studying this passage of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that these truths have and will continue to impact our lives. I know they, they've done that with me, and I pray for each one of us, Lord that we will have a firm commitment to Christ, we'll be loyal to you, and we'll not be caught off guard when there's persecution. We, we expect it. We expect it. Lord, may we walk with you. May we walk as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. And may we, um, may we Lord, be, be those who have great opportunities to share the gospel. We realize that many of those who you've classified as wolves will become your sheep as they accept you. In fact, we all were the wolves at one time, and by your mercy, mercy and grace, we've come to know you. Lord, I pray for those who, who are married to unbelievers. I, I can't imagine the difficulties that they endure as they go home and, and uh, must feel like they have to walk on eggshells at times. I pray for you to give special mercy and grace to them, and I pray you'll draw their unbelieving spouse to you. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
Amen and thank you, Pastor Steve. With that prayer, we conclude this series of studies from Matthew chapter 10. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had just been arrested and threatened, and the church prayed for what? Protection? Safety? No. In verse 29, they prayed, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. This is Peter Silseth, and I would like to thank you for listening to Verse by Verse. These daily radio Bible classes are led by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981, and now Verse by Verse Ministries makes his messages available through this radio station. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours so that you can order a cassette or a CD. That number again is 727-441-1714. If you missed part of today's broadcast, you can hear it again at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That web address once more, versebyverseradio.org.